0: Father, thank you for this day. May we set aside the things that are weighing us down this morning and turn our focus to you. Lord, give us rest this morning in your sovereignty. Give us wisdom and discernment. Where we are not in line with you or with your word, Father, correct us. Holy Spirit, convict us. Show us our shortcomings and correct our path. We pray for Josh this morning that you would quickly heal him, restore him. Um, and we pray that the, the words of our lips and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It is because of Christ we can pray. Amen. So, uh, as many of you know, Pastor Josh has been faithfully working us through the book of Ephesians. And uh, just preemptively, if I say Ephesians in the verses we're reading today instead of Philippians, it's my dyslexia. I did it twice in first service, so uh, I mean Philippians. We're going to be in the book of Philippians today. Um, If you don't know how to find that in your Bible, hopefully you have a crease in Ephesians because we've been there for several weeks. You just turn to the next book. It's right there, right after Ephesians. Uh, And now I've already said both enough times to surely confuse myself. Um, So uh, we get to pause our study in Ephesians, and I get to bring us to something that's really been um, on my heart lately, Uh, not just for others who I disciple, but in in my own life personally. So I'm excited to uh, dig in with you. As you're opening to Philippians, not Ephesians... (laughs) Uh, let me give you a brief summary of some uh, context for the book. Um, Paul is declaring in the beginning of, of the book of Philippians, or the letter to the Philippians, that he and Timothy are sending this letter to the church in Philippi. Um, there are some things going on. Paul appears to be in prison. Um, and all throughout the, the first chapter of this book, Paul is expressing this overwhelming joy that the gospel is being pressed out. He says the the guards and and all of these soldiers are are hearing the gospel. All of these people are coming to a knowledge and faith of Christ, and it's my joy that that's happening. Um, In fact, Paul will go on to say that there are people who are uh, rightly professing the gospel, but with the wrong motives, with an intent to hurt Paul while he is locked up. And he'll say, whether in pretense or in truth, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, then proclaim him. And he's really excited about that. Philippians is is known as the book of joy. Um, Paul expresses a joy in suffering. He expresses a joy in the, the gospel being pressed forward. He expresses a joy for the people of the church of Philippi to grow in sanctification and joy. Um, Paul even expresses that he has a joy that cannot be taken even with death. And so... Uh, look with me at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 30. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, this is a larger section of Scripture than we typically uh, dissect in a Sunday morning sermon. Uh, however, I, I was pretty much right on time uh, last service, so don't expect to be stuck here late. should be a, a normal length of time of sermon. Um, And obviously you can tell by covering this large of a section of Scripture, there is much, much more that can be mined out of it this morning. Uh, I have three main points that I want us to look at, to see in the text, um, but it's not exhaustive, so uh, just be prepared for that. Uh, If you're a note-taker, here are the three main points First, I want us to see the example that Paul gives us of a sacrificed life. Second, I want us to see the fruit of a sacrificed life. And then third, I want us to see how Paul commands us to live a sacrificed life. So again, the example of a sacrificed life, the fruit of a sacrificed life, and the command of a sacrificed life. Starting with our first point, the example of a sacrificed life, let's look again at Philippians 1. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If you notice, this passage oddly begins with the word for. Like it's in the middle of a sentence, and it and it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, chapter breaks and verse numbers were added much later than when the letter was originally written, and that was done just so that we can more easily find things and memorize things. Um, so that being the case, what we need to do to to really kind of see what Paul is saying here, is so we've got to look at least one verse ahead of that uh, to understand what the four is is there for, right? Um, Verse 18 says this What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You see, Paul was addressing the, the church about the people who were preaching correctly the gospel, but with bad motives. These people were preaching the gospel correctly. I know I've said that a few times, but it needs to be really clear. However, their, their, aim, their aim was to hurt Paul, to uh, inflict him with some sort of wound by preaching the gospel while he was locked up. And Paul says, as long as Christ is rightly proclaimed, I rejoice. If it cost me my life, I rejoice. If I have another day, I make much of his name, and if they take my life, I get the treasure of my heart. So let them preach on with false motives, as long as they properly preach the gospel. And what we have here is this amazing display of joy from Paul amidst terrible circumstances. Paul's argument for why he doesn't care if his imprisonment leads to death or his release is simply that Christ and his gospel is what Paul aims to proclaim. Paul makes some bold statements here that should shape the way we as Christians view death. And I'm going to touch on that at the end of the sermon. But for now, I want us to see why Paul would say, if people preach Christ to hurt me, if I don't get released and I, and I get killed instead, it doesn't matter All that matters is that the gospel is preached and that Christ is proclaimed. And that's Paul's point. This is the example of joy living a sacrificed life. Now, obviously there's no way for me to know how each of you came in this morning. To know what's going on in your life, to know... Uh, what what burdens, what baggage you bring in with you. I do know that all of us live in a fallen and sin-filled world. The Christian life is a constant battle, and I'm painfully aware that many times we can struggle to possess joy in the midst of the battle. It's not often that you see joy on a battlefield, so to speak. And Paul is here in prison, in the midst of the battle, there are teachers who are trying to hurt him by proclaiming the gospel. And Paul says, It's joy. It's my joy. Whether it costs me my life or I get another day, let's let's make much of Christ's name. Let's press his gospel forward. In Paul's eyes, if he lives, he has already sacrificed. All of his other desires of life at the altar of this one desire to make Christ known and to glorify him in his life lived out. We see that so clearly in the famous passage where Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, since the life he lives is already sacrificed unto Jesus, meaning that Jesus and his gospel is the focus, the aim, the work with which Paul has taken up to do, to spend his life on, then no one and no circumstance can take Paul's joy. If he dies for Jesus' name, then Jesus' name goes forward. If they torture him but allow him to live then he will continue to push Jesus' name and his gospel forward. And this is the joy that Paul has in any circumstance. If you want to know the secret to a joyful life it's one that's given up, a, a life that's given up for the truer, better life to come. Where we believers will enjoy ultimate fellowship with Christ himself eternally. Paul is simply following the example that Christ Jesus gave in his life. When Christ put on flesh, he came and lived a sacrificial life. The only perfect person to ever have existed is Christ Jesus himself in the flesh. And yet he died a sinner's death. This wasn't like a new thing for Paul. He didn't discover some new way to live. He simply... Reflecting Christ. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Jesus actually commands us to do this. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, Paul understood this command of Jesus, and he wanted the the church in Philippi to know that the key to their joy in all circumstances was to make their life about Christ, to take up their cross daily. This is the sacrificed life. Uh, We've heard Josh refer to it this way the crucified life. This is us taking up our cross, pursuing Christ with everything we have, giving up all of the desires that we may run into with the ultimate desire of making much of Christ's name. Paul says, I will rejoice if death comes. I will honor God if I have another day. If people with pure motives preach the gospel because of me, God gets honored. If people with deceitful motives preach to hurt me, as long as they preach the gospel, it will still be proclaimed, and God will be honored. And that's what Paul cares about. It's important to see some clarity here, because it can get confusing. If you, if you go back in Philippians 1 and read, uh, many times people have said, well, see, look, Paul's saying it's okay that they weren't preaching correctly. And, and that's not at all what Paul's saying. Um, Paul is saying that if their motives are bad, but they are preaching the gospel, then I, Paul personally, says, I don't care that their motives are bad. I'm celebrating that the gospel is being proclaimed. Um, We see clearly in all of Scripture that false teaching, incorrect teaching, uh, is not a good thing, and Paul would never say that it is a good thing uh, if you need an example, uh, when you go home today, just open up Galatians and see how Paul treats false teachings. Uh, he's, he's pretty staunch about it. So we've got to see that clearly what Paul is saying is it, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If I'm locked up and people are trying to hurt me, if, if I live, if I die, the, the purpose, the aim, the reason I will rejoice, the reason for my joy is that Christ's name is being proclaimed. Let's read the meat of this verse one more time before we move to the next section. Philippians one 20 through 20-23 As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul has an eager expectation and hope. This expectation and hope is that he would honor God, whether by his life or by his death. And this is so amazing, Christian, (laughs) Paul was not some superhuman form of Christian. He he in fact was like you and I, saved by grace, through faith in Christ alone, the work of God, not his work. Now Paul was an apostle. Uh, that was unique to him. But for clarity's sake, Paul's posture here is not his posture because he's an apostle. His posture here, that whether through life or through death, his focus is Christ, was his posture because he was a Christian. This is the posture that Jesus has commanded all believers to have in the Matthew verse that I read earlier. We are to live our lives for Christ. We are to take up our crosses daily and live a crucified or sacrificed life. Consider this. What can anyone take from you if you have already given up all you have and are for the name of Christ? They cannot take him from you. Let me make this maybe a little more practical. Uh, Husbands, what can your wife take from you when she sins against you? If your point and purpose, if your most ultimate aim is to glorify God in all things, to point to him, what can your wife and her sin take from you? Employees, what can a boss take from you? Wives, what can your husband in his sin take from you? Parents, what can your children take from you? Christian, what can your enemies take from you? If your value or your hope is wrapped up in the way others treat you, like your spouse, your boss, your family, your children, your enemies, well, then it's easy to lose joy. It's easy to be hurt and offended. It's easy to feel a loss of value. But if your value is wrapped up in Christ, the the finished work of God, that can never be taken. That is why Paul can say from a prison, if I die, I gain. And if I live, I'm going to go right back to what got me thrown in here in the first place. It's all about Christ. I've used this example before, but, but I really do think it's a helpful one. So if you've heard it before, uh, you'll get to hear it again. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you two scenarios, and, and I just want you to think about which scenario puts on display the glory of the gospel better. So scenario A, when my wife is perfect and never offends me, I come home and dinner's set, I I get up in the morning and the house is clean, whatever, fill in the blank. Doesn't offend me, just lives perfectly. Or, in reality, when my wife, who also struggles with sin, offends me. When she is sinfully angry or frustrated about something. When she's not honoring God in her actions. In which one of those scenarios do I get to, in the greatest way, display the gospel? It's not a trick question, right? The the reality is that when suffering happens, when wrongs are done, when there is turmoil and strife, when sin rears its ugly head, we have a greater opportunity to put on display the finished work of Christ. To say, I love my wife no matter what she's dealing with, no matter how much sin she may be struggling with in this moment. Because Christ died for me when I was sinning. Now I can lay down my pride, I can lay down my right to get vengeance, right? Paul was not just proclaiming this for the church in Philippi to hear. Rather, he was displaying it in his life lived out. He was showing them, whether I remain locked up, whether I die, whether I live, doesn't matter. I want to make much of Christ. Which brings me to my second point, the fruit of living a sacrificed life. Philippians 1, verses 24 through 26. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus." because of my coming to you again. In verse 21, Paul says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Now the immediate fruitful labor that Paul is speaking of is this, that he, among other things, has not completed his discipleship of the church in Philippi, and that on their account, he could be used to help them progress in their sanctification and their joy in the faith. A fruitful work of Paul's sacrifice life was to continue teaching, leading, discipling the Philippian church to full maturity and full joy. Ultimately, as I've already stated, the, the fruitful labor of Christ, or sorry, of Paul was to make much of Christ's name. But we see another effect of it here in this text. We often talk about the difficulty of sanctification. If you're unfamiliar with what sanctification is, it's uh, a theological term that describes a Christian's growth into maturity. Uh, as a believer, we are to grow more and more Christ-like as we mature, as we understand the things of God, as we study His Word. We are to fight harder against sin to grow in maturity, and that process is called sanctification. Uh this, this process of sanctification uh, seems to become more and more difficult as we become more and more aware of our sin, of how far short we are of Christ. Things you didn't realize you need to stop doing suddenly begin sticking out to you. And I've often said in those moments, man, this is hard. Sanctification is it's not for the weak. It's hard work. But Paul said in this passage, it was for the Philippian church, sanctification and joy. So, what am I missing? What what are we missing when our focus is the difficulty of sanctification? Uh, Well, I would submit to you that this is us turning our focus inward, instead of seeing the joy of glorifying God through our difficulty. Um, I, I liken this uh, to this. Have you, ever, have you ever been upset or complained about something just utterly ridiculous? Like, this tap water is so gross, I can't believe I have to drink it. Just me? I'm the only one here. Okay. Thanks, guys. I'll remember that. Uh, all the while, people literally are dying daily. Because they can't get fresh water, and we'll find really insignificant and silly things to be bitter about, right? Uh, I think it has to do with us living in, in a really a, a spoiled culture. We far too often trade the fruit of the sacrificed life for the bitterness of the spoiled life. Let me say this another way. The Christian life, as God has had Paul proclaim it here, should be one of joy when things get hard. should be one of joy all the time. But even, and especially, in hard circumstances. Why or how is this the case? Well, when things are difficult or hard... Christians have an opportunity to put on display in a far more tangible or brilliant way our love of Jesus and our purpose of living for Christ. Consider the book of Job. If you're familiar with it at all, uh, in the opening of the book, Satan tries to argue with God that the reason that Job is upright is because God has blessed him. Oh, you've given him everything. Take it all away. He'll curse you to your face. Even Satan knows that true love and devotion is proved and put on display in the furnace of suffering. Or to say it another way, the, the fruit of the sacrificed life is shown when sacrifice actually happens. Christian, do you face hardship with joy because you know it will put on display the glory and the beauty of Christ in you. And that's the point here. Paul tells the church that he's confident that he will be released because of their need of his help to grow them in sanctification and in joy. So one of the fruits of the sacrificed life clearly seen in the passage is duplication, producing more believers unto their joy, joyful living out their lives sacrificially for God. Paul would have preferred to go home to his Lord, but he knew it was necessary to continue his discipleship and to make more devoted followers of Christ. If you think about this, we, even in this church today, we need to, we need to thank God for that. How often do you marvel at the cost of the lives of faithful saints who have gone before us so that we might have what we have today? The preserved word of God to study, the freedom to even gather together and meet and and pray together and and sing and, and preach. Because of Paul's obedience, because of the church of Philippi's obedience, because of God's sovereignty. We have all of these blessings. One of the primary ways that we see this fruit in our obedience to Christ's command sorry is in our obedience to Christ's command to go and make disciples. And that's why we place such a high priority on discipleship here. The last command of Jesus prior to his ascension was his command for us to go and make disciples of all the nations. It, It's our aim here to make disciples who make more disciples. Whether far off or here, we have been commanded by Jesus our Lord to make disciples. Consider the missionaries that Matt prayed for earlier, the lenders, the the droolers, and the dykes. Consider what they're going to do. They're going to sacrifice their life for the hope of the gospel, that they might be able to preach it to a people who have never heard it before. Here's the beauty of it. They get to say the same thing Paul said. If I die, I gain. And if I'm permitted to live another day, I will make much of Christ's name. And they get to face that reality in a way that most of us will just honestly never understand. Their joy, whether in life or death, is that they get to make much of Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, church, how different would our world be if all of those who profess to be believers, to be Christians, would live like that? Now, there are many fruits of this labor that Paul is referring—sorry, referencing, one being joy in all circumstances, whether he lives or dies, Christ, Christ's name is proclaimed, and that brings him joy. I will rejoice, he says. Uh, obedience? There's a joy, Christian, in our obedience to God. We've been called to it, but Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Therefore, obedience is a joy. should be a joy. We can add the fruit of honoring the Lord and our lives lived out, laid, laid down for him. The fruit of multiplying, of helping other people know how to have joy in all circumstances by making much of Christ. You see, when we live our lives sacrificially, when we make Jesus and the gospel our primary aim, there are all sorts of ways that this produces fruit in our life and in the lives of those around us. I think part of the reason that current Christianity really misses this, why we don't see this, is is we really don't, heed this command in our lives well. Which brings me to my last point, the, the command of the sacrificed life. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, Church, what does it mean to let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, it means exactly what Jesus had commanded earlier in the Matthew passage and also commands in another Matthew passage. It means that we are to lay down the other desires that we have under the ultimate desire of honoring and making much of Christ. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you notice that word worthy in the verses? It's the same exact Greek word that Paul is using in our Philippians passage. Christian, what do you love most in this world? Where your heart lies, there your treasure lies. If Christ is not your treasure, then this should sound like a warning to you. Because Christ himself has proclaimed, you are not worthy of the gospel. Guys, this is This is what Jesus declared in Matthew. If you are unwilling to to make me the greatest point of your life, then you cannot be my disciple. And he uses the word worthy. If you love something more than Jesus, you are not worthy of Jesus. Or to put it another way, you cannot be his. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I think God's word makes this point very clear. What I did want to show us is that this is a commandment for us today. It's still a commandment for us. What do we love more than Christ? What do we need to lay down to take up our cross and to make much of his name? That's what Paul is saying in our Philippians passage when he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So if the command is clear and the purpose of the command is clear, then how do we live it out? How do we let our lives be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel? When we live in light of this truth that death cannot separate us from God because Christ died in our place and rose again, that's when we can begin, most certainly, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. When we talk about the how part of fulfilling this command, we must see this as the firm foundation. Uh, Let me be just really poignant. If God has not given you faith, you cannot live this way. Scripture is very, very clear. The other thing I want to say, Paul is not saying, live this way to be saved. You need to hear that as well. He's not commanding unbelievers to get right and to start living worthy of the gospel so that they can be saved. If you guys read scripture at all, you'll know that's true. They can't live right unless they've been given faith. It's impossible. Rather, what Paul is declaring is because Christ has saved you, Live like it. Live like it. Let it change everything about you. Let's look back at our passage and see some of the details that Paul gives us and how we are to live this life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1:27 through28: "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul says whether I make it to you or not, here's what you do to live your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Look at his first command in this little section. He says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This command begins with unity. Christians, our lives lived out in a manner worthy of the gospel means we work together in unity. We strive to have the same spirit, the same mind. It means at least two things. One, when we strive alongside one another, it will not be simple. We will fail each other. We will sin against one another. We will have to fight. We will have to work for this unity. It will not be easy, but it's oh so worth it. And then two, it means that we must, if we are professing to be Christians, We must do life with one another. The Christian life is not one of solitude and aloneness. We could not strive for unity if each of us were welcome to just keep to ourselves and not be invested in others. Um, If you know me at all, you know it's no secret that I I really love the book of Proverbs, especially as it pertains to youth. I'm... Press on the, on the students all the time, read Proverbs, read Proverbs, so good for you. And there's a certain passage in Proverbs chapter 6 that always catches my attention as I read through it. Uh, Proverbs 6 verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, when the passage says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, it, it kind of tends to draw our eyes to the seventh thing. Now, I don't know if that's the purpose of the writer but it certainly happens when I when I read that, and so I look at these six items before the seventh, and I go, yeah, 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 I don't like liars and people who are arrogant and people who are are wanting to see death, the the, uh, the running to wickedness. Like, yeah, those those are surely I can understand why those are a, an abomination, why the Lord hates those things. And then I get to this last one, and it just doesn't seem like it's as as bad as the rest of them but it seems like it's the the emphasis, the one being pointed to. One who sows discord among brothers is an abomination to God. Now, if you think about that and you couple it with Paul's command here in Philippians to strive side by side for the faith, you begin to see this reality. God takes our relationships very seriously. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this should be a very important thing for us. God has harsh words for those who would create division among brothers, and God gives us clear commands to strive for unity. Now, let me clarify some things here as perhaps this has come up for you. It is an all-too-common experience in the local church body today to have many people join the body for a season, but never truly be bought in. And this is the problem that we have when we have a church on every corner. People can basically go to a new church every day and never actually be known by anyone. They can call themselves a part of a church, and nobody there could even know who they were. It's like keeping one foot in the door and one foot out. There's no skin in the game, so to speak. The tendency in this situation is to stay as long as it is good for you, that you're getting whatever you went there to get. But, but as soon as you're pressed for growth or accountability, as soon as, as soon as someone wants to do some hard work in your life or wants to invite you in to do hard work in theirs, you quickly decide it's just not the place for us. No thank you. I I like the worship, but I don't know if I want to actually have people know who I am. It's like at the first sign of conflict, you bail out of the sinking ship, and you leave those who are trying to get the water out and survive, left wondering what happened. At best, the situation hurts others. At worst... The rumors begin spreading, and the situation becomes a disease that tears through the heart of a church body. This does multiple damages in the lives of those who remain in the body and in the lives of fellow believers who are lovingly encouraging growth. If you've experienced this situation, then you have a good understanding as to why God calls this an abomination. Um, personally, there have been few pains in my life greater than the pain of pouring into someone else and then having them rip the cord, jump ship, and try to destroy everything that, that genuine people were trying to pour into. Ultimately, it's a lack of commitment to other brothers and sisters in Christ and the body that you're doing life in. It's a selfish action that causes us to look for something easier instead of ever really being vulnerable enough to grow and to be held accountable. Church, think about it this way. If you've never had to strive alongside another believer in your church family, then are you really bought in? Do you really have skin in the game? Are you really there in hopes for your brothers and sisters' sanctification and joy as you see Paul here in Philippians Christians do life in a constant battle with sin. And it means we will do life in and with our church family and still be battling sin. When we do life in an intimate way, it is not a matter of if, but rather a matter of when you will need to strive for unity. So we see Paul say, one way to live your life Worthy of the gospel is to fight for this unity, to fight for one spirit, one mind, one soul with fellow believers in the faith. And this is key. But Paul also draws out another thing in verse 28. He says, And not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, this lack of fear shows your opponents that you cannot be defeated. Better yet, Christ cannot be defeated. It's the very same lack of fear that Paul shows when he says, I'm confident that in my life or in my death, Christ will be glorified. You see, on the battlefield, the most feared opponents are those who are not afraid to die. Because you cannot take anything from them. You can't intimidate them. You can't control them. They're willing to give it up. This confidence of glorifying God, whether in our life or in our death, is a sure sign to your opponents of their destruction. They know they cannot win because you cannot lose. There's nothing they can take from you to stop you fighting for unity in the faith of the gospel. Now, here's the other half of this amazing coin. The confidence is also a clear sign to them of your salvation and that from God, uh, Josh, preaching through Ephesians, has made this point very, very clear. All of Scripture points to it. Salvation is of the Lord. You are saved by grace, through faith, and faith itself is a gift of God. No man lives for Christ, giving up their life rightly to make much of his name, unless by God's mercy and grace that man has been granted salvation. It's very important. Paul does not call us to live a life worthy of the gospel so we can be saved. Paul is declaring, since Christ bought you, since you were purchased with his blood, since you have already been forgiven, sealed in Christ, then let your life be lived out and done in a manner worthy of that gift. Let's read on to see even more clarity. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, But also suffer for his sake. Paul said this to the church in Philippi, and and God, through Paul, says to the universal church in his scripture faith and suffering have been granted to you. For the sake of Christ, we have been granted faith and granted suffering. You need to hear this this morning. The same God who holds the universe together by the word of his mouth is the same God who grants us salvation and suffering. If you are in the middle of some hardship, if you're feeling weighed down by some burden this morning, God is not absent rather than focus on the painfulness of that hardship, ask yourself how you might have more opportunity to make much of Christ's name in the midst of it. I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that to heap another burden upon you. I say that because God declares that there is joy to be had in that type of action. Look again at the joy that Paul has in these circumstances. He's imprisoned, yet he has an opportunity to push forward the gospel and see God save the lives of those around him. And he says he rejoices in this fact, that whether in life or in death, Christ would be put on display and glorified. Christian, you can find no greater joy than to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Again, God is not commanding this for us because he wants to rob us of joy. He's commanding this because he has greater joy in store for you. He is sharing with you the secret to endless joy, to earth-shattering joy, to even in death or suffering joy. If these commands have hit your heart today and sound burdensome, I would submit to you that this is not the way Paul sees them. And it's not the way that we should see them either. Take heart, Christian. When we pursue sanctification and obedience in joy, God who is faithful will show us why this is the best road to walk. Uh, I want to conclude with this. I I told you earlier in the sermon that I wanted to look at what Paul says about death and, and about making much of Christ in death. Uh, And so I want to return to that point now. Let's look at uh, the Philippians passage again one more time, verses one, sorry, chapter one, verses 20 through 23. Paul says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Not a little bit. Far better. Paul eagerly expects to honor God in his death, but how would he do this? Well, he does this by seeing death as gain. Paul looks eagerly to the day that he is reunited to his Savior. Paul says in verse 23 that he is hard-pressed between life and death. It's a tough decision for him. I want to stay and help you grow, but I really want to be with the Lord. Paul goes, it's better for me. Christian, when a fellow believer departs to be with Christ Do you celebrate that as a far better situation for them? Do we long to be with our Lord and Savior so much that we eagerly look forward to our own death to that day because we know that this is the point when we will be united with Christ Jesus in a much more intimate way? You see, this worldview is what brings Paul utter joy even in the face of death. Paul gives us insight to death in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-15. through Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, Paul's clear instruction here in Thessalonians is that the Christian would be encouraged that death is not to us what it is to the world around us. Death for the Christian is the beginning of eternity in the presence of our Lord. It is where the intimacy that we long for in this life is experienced and realized in an even better way. And it is the hope that gets us through suffering. It is why we can have joy in any circumstance. It is why we can look at death and go, you only bring me to a better place. We should not grieve the death of believers as others do who have no hope. We should confidently face death down and see the hope of our union with Christ Saying with Paul, for me to die is gain. There's a a man named Donald Gray Barnhouse who shared this testimony. I remember reading it, uh, man, it was three or four years ago. He says he was driving with his children to his wife's own funeral where he was to preach the sermon. can't imagine that. As we came into one small town, there strode in front of us a truck that came to a stop before a red light. It was the biggest truck I ever saw in my life, and the sun was shining on it at just the right angle that took its shadow and spread it across the snow on the field beside it. As the shadow covered the field, I said, Look, children, at that truck and look at its shadow. If you had to be run over, which would you rather be run over by? Would you rather be run over by the truck or by the shadow? He said, My youngest child said, The shadow couldn't hurt anybody. That's right. He continued, and death is a truck, but the shadow is all that ever touches the Christian. The truck ran over the Lord Jesus. Only the shadow is gone over mother. You see, Christ took death for the Christian so that all we will ever experience is the shadow of death that cannot hurt us. Christians have this lack of fear because we know whether we are suffering or even killed, God will be glorified by our lives lived out making much of his name or by our lives laid down and spent to make much of his name. Oh, how we might live differently if we truly believed that it was better to be home with our Lord. What might we be willing to risk for God's glory if we believe that death only brought us greater joy. You see, Paul's secret to joy in all things, including death and suffering, is quite simply to be living for something other than himself. When you live for someone who is the ultimate source of joy, who is eternal, who is immutable, unchanging, sovereign over all things, then no one can take your joy from you. No circumstance can rob you of it. And this is what Paul's focus of his life is upon. It cannot be taken or changed. The source of Paul's joy is not changeable or removable, so Paul always has it, whether in life or in death. Paul marches through life with this eternal mindset that was always focused on a future joy of being with his Lord. This is how someone can say, if I die, it's better, it's gain. I get to be with the treasure of my heart if I die. If I live I get another day to make much of his name. So whether I live or I die, I will rejoice. I will be filled with joy. I will cry out in joy about my Lord and my Savior and his gospel. My hope for us today is that we would live with an unshakable joy and hope, even in the face of death, that we would, like Paul, be willing to give our everything for the name and glory of God and for the good of the elect. Let me close a prayer. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning as we consider Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We, we consider your words to us, the, the universal church, the, the body of true believers, Lord. May we see the joy that you have in store for us. May we see that our, our lives laid down for you does not mean we lack joy, does not mean we are robbed of, of things we want, but that we get our greatest joy to make much, to make much of your name, Lord. We pray that we're, we are holding on to other things where other loves and, and um, joys are hiding in our heart. Your Spirit would convict us that the brothers and sisters that you have given us to do life with can help us to see those things, to lay them down, and to make much of your name. It is because of Christ we pray. Amen.